Father, we love you. And we're overwhelmed by your goodness to us. The opportunity, God, to experience you. To worship you. To know, to taste just how good you are. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you, God, for the privilege of being your church, a family of faith united in Christ. And Father, it's our prayer this morning that you would use this time for for your purposes, God, for your glory, but also we ask it in Jesus' name for our good. I ask God that you would speak through me, and and especially this morning, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak in spite of me. And God, that none of us will be the same because we were here today, because of what you do in our lives and what you will do through our lives as a result of it. This is our prayer. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name and the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen, amen. Just so you know, if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest today, this is your first time, first of all, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. We have prayed that you would show up. We have worked to make this worthwhile for you. And the preacher does not have like an emotional moment at the beginning of every single sermon. This is kind of a unique day. So just kind of bear that in mind and we're going we're gonna to forge ahead together. Wow, what a day, what a day. Well, some of you know that Julie and I have some close, close personal friends who pastor a church down in South Florida, the Fort Lauderdale area, David and Lisa Hughes. David, of course, has preached here a couple of few times, and actually is coming back in November. He'll be here with us again this fall. But David and Lisa are some of our closest, closest friends on the planet. They're, They're the kind of people that the Bible says, you know, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Those are the kind of people that David and Lisa Hughes are. And They're just such good friends of ours. Of course, we love everybody, but we like, we really like David and Lisa, and we look for opportunities. We create excuses to hang out together, and actually, we're we're such good friends, we actually enjoy traveling together. How many of you know, if you travel with somebody, that is a friendship or not, and for us, it is. We, We love traveling with David and Lisa, hanging out, and One of the first times that we ever traveled with David and Lisa was years ago. We were attending a conference together. It was out of the country, and uh, it was kind of the first time that we had ever traveled. So the night before the conference began, we we made a game plan for the next morning, what time we would meet downstairs in the lobby of the hotel and go to the conference and have a great time. So morning time showed up, and Julie and I came downstairs more or less at about the time we had agreed upon, and Got down there, no David, no Lisa, no problem. We had built a little margin into the morning, and a few minutes go by, no David, no Lisa, no problem. And and about, I don't know, five or ten minutes after we had said we were going to meet down there, we get a text from Lisa on our way down. Well, I thought, being buddy-buddy friends with them, that it would be funny if when the elevator doors opened, I was standing in the lobby going, where have you been? (laughs) Preacher humor. But... What happened was this. When we got the text, we kind of knew what floor they were on, so we gauged what elevator they were going to be coming down. And sure enough, as the elevator doors parted, I was tapping my watch. David walked off of the elevator. 
<laughs> so sorry, we're on Hughes Standard Time this morning. You're just going to have to get used to that if you travel with the Hugheses. And Lisa never skipped a beat. As I was tapping my watch, she looked me dead in the eye and she said, Mac, this does not just happen. <laughs> it's a great line, isn't it? Well, what's true of Lisa Hughes and, and her face is equally true for every single one of us and our faith. You see, the staying power that, that God intends for us to live in and to live out of does not just happen. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at this idea and the, the promise of God throughout the Bible to generate power in our lives and through our lives, through staying, through persisting and, and persevering. It's not just the power to stay and to stick around and play the game long term, but it's the power that comes from staying in the game, from persisting and persevering. And the template that we've been using throughout this series has been the life of a guy by the name of Joshua. Joshua is one of those people who embodied staying power throughout his life. He was a, a, just an icon of consistency. And if you, if you look at the life of Joseph, there, there was really kind of a common thread running all the way through his life. From, from the earliest time that he's mentioned in the Bible as he's an apprentice to Moses. He was the one who was there in the tent of meeting as Moses met with God face to face. Later on, he was, he was a, a field commander in, in a battle and in warfare, but he graduated to become the leader of the nation of Israel, some several million strong after Moses' death. And throughout Joshua's life, he was this incredible paragon of obedience. Obedience was the one thread that runs throughout Joshua's life more than any other human character in all of the Bible. If you go all the way back and you look at Abram, who became Abraham, he had some disobedience issues. Moses certainly had some anger issues. He was actually guilty of murder at one point in his life. All the way ahead of Joshua, you had King David, who was a man after God's own heart, but whose foibles and flaws are absolutely legendary in the Bible. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was the one who said the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. The thing I want to do, that's what I don't do. So throughout the pages of Scripture, the pillars of faith are over and over and over again portrayed as flawed human beings. But Joshua, Joshua is the one kind of pillar of faith in the entire Bible that, that there is this incredible thread of consistency and obedience throughout his entire life. And it's that obedience that generated the power of Joshua's life. It's the, it's the one power play that always, always works. Obedience is the one power play that will never, ever fail us spiritually. When Julie and I began our parenting career, it became really, really obvious very early on that we were coming at this from different angles. And I think some of this is attributable to just the difference between dads and moms, moms and dads, maybe men and women, I don't know. But, but Julie had this incredible innate ability 
to perceive our kids' perceptions, their, their thoughts and their motives and what they were thinking, to anticipate those things. And so a lot of times her tendency was to explain away maybe a, a, a disobedient moment or a crossword or, or a, a quick no that came from a disobedient little toddler. Well, as a dad, I kind of looked at the same behavior and I went, oh, I don't think so. I was kind of like, I, I don't care what, the, what their perception is. I don't care about her feelings or his thoughts and what he thought you meant. Little toot was wrong, so we're going to address that. And what I learned is that I had a lot to learn from Julie, that, that I needed to think more like she did and kind of think about and anticipate their behaviors and their thoughts and their perceptions. But I think Julie also came to kind of learn from me that, that a lot of times their perceptions and their feelings and their thoughts are fascinatingly interesting and completely irrelevant. If you're rude to mama, game over. And, and so I remember one time I was on the phone with Julie and our kids were very, very young. We, we hadn't been in Austin very long at all. Emily was probably... I don't know, three or four, Joseph was one or two. And, and while Julie and I are trying to have a conversation, Emily is in the background relentlessly. Mama, 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 mama. How many of y'all know that kind of just, I mean, it just, it just is like fingernails on a chalkboard, right? But how many of you, maybe, and I think mostly moms, how many of you just become numb to it and you don't even hear it after a while? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I was on the phone with Julie and I said, I said hey, babe, don't let her talk to you like that. This was Julie's response. Talk to me like what? Who? It's like our daughter who's, who's right there going mama, 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 mama. You see, here's what we needed to do as parents. It was imperative that we made sure Emily and Joe did not grow up buying the lie that their feelings should dictate their actions. You see, we, we all kind of understand what that's like, but here's the problem. Feelings are fleeting. Our decisions determine our direction. Our, our feelings are, are very, very fleeting, and they come and go like the wind, a lot of us, most of us. But it's our decisions. It's the choices we make and the actions that we take that actually determine our direction and the trajectory of our lives. Joshua shows this over and over and over again. This morning, we're going to go to, to really what is a milestone moment in the life of Joshua. Israel has just completed 40 years of wilderness wanderings under the leadership of Moses. They have crossed over the Jordan River and are about to finally occupy the promised land. That, that, that stretch of land that God had guaranteed to Abraham generations and centuries before. This moment is upon them. And the opening salvo, the, the initial battle in the claiming of the promised land is about to happen in a town called Jericho. Now, now the battle of Jericho is, like I said, kind of a milestone moment in the scriptures. A lot of people, you may have heard the story before, or maybe the old spiritual, Joshua at the battle of Jericho, 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 you know what I'm talking about? So you probably have never heard it sung that well, but you may have been familiar with it from other people. Well, the Battle of Jericho is a phenomenal resource for us. Not only is it a great story that records historically what happened, it also shows us 
how to live out this power play of obedience in and through our lives. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Joshua chapter number 6. In Joshua 6, God is preparing Joshua to lead Israel, and, and he's setting the stage for what's going to happen in the battle of Jericho. Look in Joshua chapter 6. The Bible says this, verses 1 and 2. He said, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. So God says, Joshua, you are about to win like you can't even imagine. This city, this town, the beginning of the end is now upon us. You are going to walk in and you will claim Jericho. It is there for the taking. And the temptation might be for you and me. When God calls us to something, when he promises us something, to kind of go, God's going to give this to us. But it's really important, really important that we understand it's not just a matter of chilling out and receiving. Look at what he says in the verses that follow, verse 3. He says, Now, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. This is the Ark of the Covenant. You may remember it from the um, biblical movie Indiana Jones. <laughs> but the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God because it was what they carried the Ten Commandments in, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, this is real. This is true. I also would imagine some of us in the room or maybe watching online later on, maybe you, you read this, and maybe you've got a little bit of a, a check in your brain. You're kind of like, that doesn't really sound like real life to me. Like, I, like people are going to walk around the town. They're going to blow horns and yell, ha, ah, and the walls are going to come tumble. I, I just, I got a hard time with that, and I understand that. I think, I think you're right to engage your brain and to, to bring all of your intellect to, to the subject of faith. But let me just suggest this to you. Because we're talking about a holy, omnipotent, all-powerful God, the, the one who created everything, that means that all of the created order, all of the laws of science and nature that we think we've got a pretty good grasp on, he started all of that. And so if he's powerful enough and he's creative enough to create all of that, that also means by definition he is smart enough and powerful enough and creative enough to, from time to time, suspend those laws. He can intervene supernaturally. That means above and beyond the natural order. 
And I don't think anybody in this room or in this gathering is so arrogant as to believe that just because you can't explain something by some scientific method that we now have at our disposal, it couldn't have happened. I mean, how, how unbelievably intellectually conceited do you have to be to think that you understand everything, and if it can't be explained in a way that you understand or can't explain it to somebody else, then it couldn't have happened. So I want to just invite you, I want to challenge you to understand what we're talking about when we talk about God and how God operates, that there are these moments of the miraculous, these, these supernatural supernovas that happen from time to time where God steps in and does what only he can do as he calls us to do what we can do. And that's what's going on here with Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Now, they did march around the city for six days, and they did on the seventh day march around the city seven times, and when they gave the blast of the horn, the walls did indeed fall down. But it's imperative to remember that it was then at that point that the battle was on. It was at that point that Israel had to go claim. They had to do the work of fighting for that which God had called them to. See, a lot of times we, we forget that when God promises us something, like let, let's say Let's say in your marriage. If you're married, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is for your marriage. That, that's not a question. Where like, I wonder if God wants us to have a great marriage or just survive or maybe get divorced. You know he wants you to have a great marriage that flourishes and thrives. But, and everybody, please say but. But you got to work. you got to fight to have a great marriage even if God has promised it to you. Would somebody help me preach? I mean, does anybody here have a great marriage and you know that you got to work for it? Julie, you can go ahead and raise your hand. I know. My point is, this, this is the thing that we've got to understand. When God makes a promise, he never, say never. never. He, he never absolves us of the work. He always, say always always involves us in the work. You see, when he calls us to something, when he promises you something, he never says, you don't have to do anything. I'll take care of everything. He says, no, 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 no. Come here and partner with me. We're, we're going to do this together. And when we partner with God, there will be supernatural moments. There will be things that happen that we can't imagine or explain, or ask for, but he just chooses in his amazing grace to do it. But he will only do those things which only he can do when we do those things he's called us to do. Think about Peter walking on the water, the Sea of Galilee, a storm at night, Jesus walking towards the disciples on, toward, in the boat. Peter, of course it was Peter. He's like, Lord, I want to do that. Command me to come to you. That looks like fun. What did Jesus say to him? He said, Peter, come. Now, Peter did indeed walk on the water. But before Peter walked on the water, you know what he did? He threw his leg outside of the boat. He, he chose to step out. That's a very natural action. Nothing supernatural about that. Took a lot of faith, but it was a natural action that precipitated the supernatural work of God. 
And that is what's happening here in Jericho. Now, going back to the miraculous for just a second. Yes, the walls came tumbling down as the people gave the great shout. There will be times when God will call us to do things that we don't understand. There will be moments in your life. There are moments in mine where, where God says, I want you to do this. I want you to step out of the boat. I want you to take a leap of faith. And maybe even people close to you, maybe, maybe your, your extended family is looking at you going, oh, no, God, God didn't mean you. You think, you think God wants to use you? you look, he, he must have forgotten what you were like in high school. I didn't. There's no, 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 no. God will use you every single time you are willing to do that which doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. But you've got to be willing to step out of the boat. You know, here's, here's our problem, our challenge. A lot of times we like the boat. We like the boat. Tell your neighbor, the boat's comfy. The boat is great, man. We're here in the boat, safe and sound. The nation of Israel is looking at Jericho going, man, that would be awesome. But at a certain point, you've got to get out of the boat. At a certain point, you've got to blow the horn and give a shout. Tell your neighbor, give a shout. That was okay. But, you know, I'm serious. I think a lot of times we miss the power of God. We miss the move of God because we're so concerned with being cool. Isn't that, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the price of admission for living in Austin, isn't it? That's, we we want to be cool. I'm, it's cool, man. How are you doing? I'm cool. How's work? It's cool. Sometimes when God leads us to do something, man, check your cool at the door. Let, let, let other people be cool. You be obedient. You, you step into the power of what God has for you. And when God, again, when he makes a promise, he doesn't absolve us of the work. He involves us in the work. And he calls us to do something, to make choices that are different from everybody else so that our lives Make a difference for everybody else. That, that's what God is up to here with the nation of Israel. Now, God goes on in the next few verses, and the Bible tells the story, again, of kind of setting the stage of what's going to happen. But I want to fast forward to verse 17. In verse 17, there's a fascinating, fascinating exchange. The Bible says in verse 17, Only Rahab the prostitute... And the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Now watch this. Rahab is one of the most fascinating figures in the entire Bible. She really, really was a prostitute in Jericho. That, that was her profession. But you see, when Joshua had sent spies into the city of Jericho on a reconnaissance mission, 
the, the city king of Jericho heard and caught wind that they were there. And, the, and he sent his minions out throughout the town to find them, capture them. And it was Rahab. Rahab who gave them safe harbor. Rahab hid them from the king of Jericho. She hid them in baskets on top of her roof. And when the king's men had finally left, she let them down outside of a window. Her, her house was there in the walls of the city of Jericho. The, the house was built into the wall. They hung a cord out the window and the men scaled down. They rappelled down that cord to freedom and safety going back to, the city, back to Israel. Now, when the battle of Jericho commenced... Rahab held that cord down out of her window. And, and the Bible says it was a scarlet, red cord hanging out of her window. And so all of Israel knew that whoever was in that house where the scarlet cord came out of, they were to be protected. They were to be preserved in the destruction of Jericho. Now here's what's interesting about Rahab. This prostitute from Jericho. She's not even a part of the nation of Israel. But if you go to the New Testament in the book of Matthew, Rahab is listed as one of the ancestors of Jesus. Now, that, that is crazy to me. You mean that God would use somebody? He, Rahab was not Jewish. She wasn't an Israelite. And, and she was a prostitute. And yet, she is in the direct line to the birth of God's own son. I call that hope. I, I don't care where you are, what you've done, or who you think you've disappointed. You're not beyond the hope and the help of the amazing grace of God. Rahab is a prostitute, not even a part of the nation of Israel, and yet God used her to ultimately deliver the hope of the world, Jesus this is an amazing thing, but it's imperative that we understand. That doesn't mean that, that her life as a prostitute didn't matter or that, that God kind of winked at it. That means that the amazing grace of God will cover every single sin. It, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The grace of God is sufficient. And, and it's so important that we understand that doesn't minimize sin. I, I think a lot of times we, man, we love amazing grace. We, we love, woo, grace. Go get them, God. Forgiveness, bring it on. But we can't allow the amazing grace of God to ever minimize our sin. You see, it's because our sin is such a big deal that grace is so amazing. Because sin separates us from God. Sin always creates a chasm between us and and God. It's the amazing grace of God that closes that gap, that, that restores us back into a right relationship with God. Now, Jericho was utterly destroyed. Everyone, everything, the, the, the gold, the silver, the iron, the bronze, all of that was taken to the treasury of God. But I think the destruction of Jericho raises a great question. And, and a lot of people ask this, go, why is there so much killing in the Old Testament? I mean, God, there was a lot of, you know, like wars and, and, and God destroying things. And there is. But it's important to understand that it is always in the context of God's judgment. 
You see, disobedience always leads to destruction. Obedience always leads to the overflow of God's grace and mercy. This, this idea that, that our disobedience leads to destruction is actually common sense. Preacher ought to turn his phone off. Our disobedience creates this chasm and it leads us away from the life that is truly life, the God who is the creator, the restorer, and it leads to destruction. For the city of Jericho and others that are marked for destruction in the Old Testament and elsewhere, it's always a product of the judgment of God. You understand that if you spend any time in Israel. In Israel, even today, you understand that the nation of Israel, as it's currently constituted, is fighting for their lives every single minute of every day. There are people on this planet whose sole desire is to see Israel erased from the map and her people exterminated. Now, if you have that kind of evil as a culture, as a community, there's no reasoning with that. There's no getting over that. And the reason for that is this, that there is a point at which God gives us over to the desires of our hearts. There's a point at which if you desire to reject God, to rebel against God and keep him at arm's length, at a certain point, God will give you the desires of your heart. And on the other hand, if your desire is to, to know God, to pursue God, to chase him, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. And his judgment is always right. His judgment is always good. And so when you see Israel destroying Jericho, it is always in the context of God's judgment, and it's in the context of the fact that God's judgment is never wrong. Man, as a dad sometimes, how many, how many of you know sometimes our judgment can be wrong as parents? Have you, have you ever like, like just gone after, I mean like gotten after your kids, and then you find out they didn't do what you were just yelling at them for? Some of you are lying. Man, there were so many times Emily and Joe were growing up and I'd have to say, listen, I'm sorry, dad was wrong. I was right in what I said, but I was wrong in the way that I said it. I need you to forgive me. That, that's a great moment as a parent. It's a great moment for your kids. You, you can just watch them kind of light up and just kind of like, I'll think about it. God never misjudges our hearts, ever. And so we understand what's at stake when it comes to confession and repentance. Joshua chapter 6, verses 20 and 27. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town, and they captured it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. The Lord was with Joshua because of his obedience. His power play was his obedience to God, to, to follow the Lord even when he didn't understand it. Even when it 
transcended human reason, logic, and scientific understanding. And because he did, the Lord was with him. And it says that his reputation spread throughout the land. When you walk with Jesus, when you, when I obey God with everything that I have, there is something so attractional about that. There is something so magnetic about it that people want to be a part of that. There's something where people go, man, I don't know what, I don't know what she's doing or reading, but she's got it going on. Have you seen her life? Have you seen his life? And, and the reputation spreads as we follow Christ more faithfully and more closely. This is our, our command as a church, is to, to follow Christ so closely, to walk with him day in and day out, not just to show up at church sometimes or occasionally or unless we get a better offer, but to be the church, to follow Christ faithfully and obediently so that our lives become the attraction point. Our lives become the thing that people want to be a part of, and, and they're, they're drawn not to us, but to Christ through us. And they're drawn to wanting to be a part of what we get to be a part of because our lives are different. Our, our lives have the life of Christ flowing in them and through them. And your reputation spreads. You, you, you carry it everywhere you go. I, I, don't know, I don't know where you are today, but I do know this. Your best power play is to follow Christ. It is to walk with him obediently, faithfully, persistently, in perseverance and in power. And this is the call of God on your life. It's the call of God on my life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And I ask you to bow your heads because it's a sacred moment. It's not a moment to be moving around or creating a distraction in any way. But just to consider your own followership. Have you chosen to follow Christ? It's a simple but profound question. Simple because it's yes or no. Profound because it makes all the difference. If you're here today and you've never decided to respond to Jesus' grace initiative, we invite you to do it right now. To just pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of commitment. A prayer of beginning. Just pray and, and talk to God in your own words. Say something like this. Silently just, just pray. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness from my sin. And so I confess my sin to you and I, I claim your forgiveness. And Jesus, I will follow you with everything I've got 
from this moment forward. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. in a spirit of prayer for a moment but if that was your prayer then this moment is the greatest moment of your life and and it's a moment that, that needs to be, that deserves to be marked and so as a church we want to help love to be that that family of faith with you. And so if you would, I want to ask you just to take your program that you got when you came in and fill out the connect card inside. About halfway down, you'll notice there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. That's you. Just like these folks who were baptized earlier in our service, you've now entered into a relationship with Christ. You're a part of the family of faith. And so we want to help in whatever ways we can, at whatever pace works for you. And so if you'll just fill that card out and tear it off at the perforation along the fold there and on your way out in just a moment, hand it to one of our ushers. But second of all, as our heads are bowed for just a moment, if you would, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment to physically represent what just happened spiritually. declaration in your life, a declaration in the life of this church. And so as a family, we honor that moment in your life. You can go ahead and put your hands down as we put our hands together to tell you welcome home.